Talk Recorded live. All right. Good evening, everybody. It is Wednesday, November the 18th, 2015, and we're here with Mr. Bob Schaefer. Hey, Bob. Yeah. I'm Bob here. is uh yeah, Bob is uh one of our coaches at you have the right dot com and uh we're getting more of these calls archived in our uh index, our archive index at you have the right dot com. So you guys please uh consider becoming a member, a monthly member, because that helps support us. Um so anyway, uh Bob, you're gonna talk about traffic stops tonight and everybody loves that. That's right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, launch right into it. I'll do that. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I I believe that I'm successful is that I've never seen the inside of a law school. In other words, I have not been polluted. Uh, I started studying law 36 years ago uh, when I went into real estate to start with, and then a few years later... Um, I uh, I had a prop. I I became a big investor. I had 14 homes and a half interest in a hotel. And when the city wanted to tear down my hotel, and finally did, they um, I said, wait a minute. I I went to school back in the 50s. I mean, I graduated from high school in the 50s. That's how old I am. And I took uh, American government. I took civics class. I I studied you know, what they were teaching, and this this isn't anything like what I learned. Uh, I never had a jury, uh, nothing, and they still destroyed my hotel. And so I uh, I went back to Ukaipa, which was about 30 miles away from where my hotel was, and I was living in the hotel, and... Uh, it was a big, it's a beautiful, it's called the uh, Hotel California, not the one the song was. There was a oh. chain of them. There was a chain of them, and I, I owned one of them with my father as a 50% owner. And, uh, I mean, I was 50 and he was 50. Uh, I went back and I closed my retail store. I laid off 28 employees. I started selling off my stuff so I could get out of debt, and I started studying law. But the kind of law that you, that the listeners and I need, not just general stuff. They say law is more complicated than medicine, and I believe it. That's why people have to specialize. So I started studying the kind of law that the average man on the street uh, encounters, and that's traffic, uh, IRS, franchise tax board, <clears throat> code enforcement, and the like. And I started collecting law books. I have 9,000 of my own law books now. I lived in an 8 by 12 shed for three years so that I could afford to not have to pay rent someplace or, or, or live in one of my houses and uh, and really focus on studying this law because this isn't what I studied and something's happened here. I thought, I've got to go back to square one. Well, I did. I went back to square one and I found out that square one has a square one. So I went all the way back <laughs> to the beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I studied uh, the Mayfair Complex. In fact, the, uh, before that was the, the uh, um, just a minute, it was the, uh, got to get my specs on here. I should know this. 
but uh, and I do, but it's slipping my mind. I studied the Magna Carta, the Mayflower Compact, and this. See, America built on Magna Carta of 1215. Then there was the Mayflower Compact of 1620. My family came here uh, 60 years later in in 1680. Then they they decided, you know, they knew they were subjects. Uh, to the king, and that means subject to, and but yet they had rights. So they came up with their Declaration of Rights of 1765. And then nine years later, they hit them with another Declaration of Rights. Well, the king just signed them on, and uh, so they decided in uh, 17, uh, 1776, that was two years later, to do the Declaration of Independence. Now, notice one main thing here. At the common law, they used declarations. The civil law, we use affidavits. Or today, they use affidavits. I use both because I have to play in their arena, and I have, I'm very successful using affidavits in their game. So then we did the Articles of Confederation. There are people that say that the Articles of Confederation are still binding and, and not what's really running everything. Then the Constitution um, for the United States of America. Anyway, I went through all that stuff. And then uh, I went to seminars and I bought books. <clears throat> In fact, on the IRS, I think I bought about 10 books on how to beat the IRS. And I just sat down and I focused on them. And I wrote, I wrote uh, all the neat stuff that I found, unbelievable stuff. Is that really true? And so and, and the, what I'm going to tell you here is something that you people can do to, to create a future uh, defense or offense. Um, so I, I read all these books and uh, created about 20 really hard questions for them to answer. This was the IRS. And so rather than to uh, send these letters to some guy uh, in uh, Utah, I thought I'm going to go right to the top. I learned in my contracting business just to go to the top. Uh, I don't want to talk to the guy at the counter. I want to talk to the guy at the top, the main guy, the manager or whatever, you know, the commissioner with the IRS. So I also thought, well, I'm not going to confuse things and send them a, a, a letter with 15 questions where they might answer half of them or 10% of them. I'm going to send them a letter a week. So on my old Radio Shack computer, that's how long ago this was, <laughs> about 20 years ago, I created a basic page. Uh, starting out with, it's my intent. Now, see, I use the right word there. You've got to have intent because for there to be a crime, you have to have evil criminal intent besides the act. So you can do an act. You can do all kinds of acts, but if you don't have the evil criminal intent involved, it's not a crime. You have to prosecute these all day long, especially in traffic. You know, gee, I didn't know that there was a stop sign there. There never was a stop sign there before. I didn't see it. So there's no evil intent there, but they still prosecute you. Because it's it's all about the money, and uh, it's just easy 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 buck there. So I sent a letter a week. I created all the letters at once. I gave them a date, a week apart, and I sent them certified. And I kept my file, I put them in plastic, and I I got the, I put my receipt, and then I got the green card back. So I got all this evidence. And like, for instance, one of the letters said, uh, I understand that Mortimer Chapman, the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, back 
you know, 30, 40 years ago, I, I have the date right at the time, made the statement that uh, our taxing system is based on self-assessment and voluntary compliance. And uh, three other commissioners made the same statement. How can you explain that when you start pushing on people when they are not volunteering? And so, and then I, uh, I ended up with thank you in advance for your prompt response to this good faith question, and I find it. Well, I, I, I have all these letters and, uh, and all the receipts and stuff. And on about, I would say, three or four, I got a response back. And it said, thank you very much for your uh, inquiry. We're going to turn this over to a researcher, and they'll be getting back to you. Nobody ever got back to me. This stuff is so embarrassing, they could not respond to it. And so I just stopped firing and paying. And um, that was about 30 years ago. Well, they had a day when they scheduled a hearing for me at the uh, federal building in Los Angeles, which is about 60 miles away. So I was there. I was there early. You know, German people are always there early. That's just a German trait. I'm only 25% German, but I did pick up on that trait. And they think they're rich deep, too. Like I've lived in my house for 41 years. Anyway, I was there with my, my three-ring binder, and they ushered me in, and we sat at a table. I sat at a table, and at the right time, a man walked in, and he looked at me, and he saw my, my folder, and he said, well, it looks like you're ready. And I said, you bet I'm ready. I mean, I was a little bit uh, angry because, you know, you're wasting my time here. I didn't say that, but I said, you bet I'm ready. He says, well, I'm not. I'm, uh, uh, you know, you did the right thing. You responded and you came in. Um, so uh, thank you for coming down. You're free to leave. We never even got into my letters. See, they do the shotgun method where they send out 500 letters and maybe 30 or 40 people respond properly. And so they don't look at them anymore. That's what they did with me anyway. I'm just telling you what they did with me. So back to traffic now. In my studies of law, I found out that governments can only regulate commerce. That's why your birth certificate is registered with the final, the final deposit of your birth certificate is at the Department of Commerce. You would think it would be with the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, but no. The, the local uh, county gets a copy of it, and you can get a certified um, copy there. The Secretary of State has a copy, and they send the original to the Department of Commerce. One man went to the Department of Commerce, and he wanted a certified copy of both sides of his birth certificate, and he found that his birth certificate had been bundled and had been endorsed by 17 foreign nations. They, they bundle them and they make them, they, they go all over the, the world. And what they do is, is, as a commercial thing to raise money, they say this little baby here is going to grow up to live probably around 75 years. <clears throat> years ago it was 65 years, but now it's more. And during that time it's going to probably pay a million, a million and a half dollars in taxes. So let's just consider this a future on the stock exchange, and we're going to put it out there, and we're going to create that money right now. And that's how they do that, and that's the reason you are in commerce. 
but you didn't know you were in commerce and neither did your parents. So sometimes they call this an adhesion contract. You don't know about it. You just got sucked into it. But adhesion contracts don't comply with the 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 American laws of contracts. So there to be a, a binding contract, there has to be a meeting of the minds. Both sides have to benefit. There has to be lawful consideration of a minimum of $1 of silver. Did you hear that? In other words, it's a silver dollar. It's not a paper dollar. But they just use the word dollar. They don't say the word dollar of silver. But the only American law that ever defined a dollar is the 20th Act of April 2, 1792, and it is a dollar of silver. So there has to be a dollar of silver for lawful consideration. And <clears throat> there's, there's several other things that are, that are binding for a uh, uh, for it to be a lawful contract. So adhesion contracts are not lawful and binding. And you can you can go on the record with, with a declaration of status and say that uh, neither you nor any of your relatives before you had any full disclosure of all obligations, duties, and responsibilities associated with uh, any contract that would waive my sovereignty or their sovereignty. You see, on 17, in July 4, 1776, uh, roughly two and a half million British subjects became sovereign Americans. There were no sovereign citizens in the group because to be a citizen, you have to be under the control of some legal entity, and there was no legal entity. They were sovereign inhabitants, sovereign American inhabitants. Now, when California um, came into the uh, uh, under the jurisdiction of the federal uh, government through the 1848 International Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and its protocol of Querétaro, the federal government said we don't want California to be a territory. So, like you know, the, a lot of the other states were territories. And they had a legislative, executive, and judicial uh, branches, but they were just temporary until they became a state. They wanted California to become a state. It would be an anchor state on the West Coast. So they sent General Kearney from the United States Army to California to talk to the sovereign inhabitants. No sovereign citizens. It's impossible to be a sovereign citizen. You can't be one or the other uh, and the other. And so he talked to the sovereign inhabitants and talked them into using some of their sovereignty to create the the plan or the constitution for building a government known as the state of California, the 1849 AD state of California. It was called a clipped sovereignty. And I felt he was like a a barbershop. You you clipped some of the sovereignty off. And you still have most of your hair, but there's some clip sovereignty that they use to create the government. And right here's where I use the, the saying, a fountain cannot rise higher than its source. So the Constitution is under the sovereignty of the people. So the sovereign American inhabitants were way up there. And the governments that they created were down a little bit. But they still had some sovereignty. Then the state governments were below that, and they were they were subject to the federal government. Article six, paragraph two, 
is known as the Supremacy Clause, and it basically says this Constitution and all laws made pursuant thereto, well, that would be the Coinage Act of April 2, 1792, among a lot of other laws, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, but that brings in the, uh, the International Treaty of uh, 1848, uh, called the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. And, and then it goes on to say, shall be, shall is mandatory, not may. May is permissive. See, words and their meanings are critical. You have to understand the words and their meanings. And I've mentioned in the past, if you want to get serious, you want to get go on the Internet and get Bouvier's 1914 dictionary. In my 9,000 law books, I collect old old uh, law dictionaries, and that's the very best one because it is the 1870 with 44 years of case law that back up to 1870, and the 1870 was the last American law dictionary that was approved by Congress as this is the meaning of the words we use when we create those old laws. So you go right to the horse's mouth for the, for getting the best definitions in the 18, excuse me, the 1970s. 14, Bouvier Law Dictionary. So B-O-V-I-E-R, it's French. So they, uh, then, then the, the sovereign people are way up there. Some of those sovereign inhabitants or sovereign people could step down with their application contract, which they entered into knowingly, willingly, intentionally, voluntarily, and freely, with full disclosure of all obligations, duties, and responsibilities to work for that government that was designed to serve those sovereign people way up there. The government, when it talks about the consent of the government, that was the consent of the governed people that are working for the government, not the consent of the people up there. The sovereign people are not governed. They are kings. I'm a king on my land. Oh, they don't like that argument. They don't want to hear that. No, you're you're under all these laws. No, I'm not. I'm one of the sovereign people. Don't call me a sovereign citizen. There's all kinds of stuff on the Internet against the sovereign citizen movement. Well, somebody got it wrong. They're displaying their ignorance about words and their meanings. Uh, you, it, a, a sovereign citizen would be like, a, well, I'll use a different term, but I'll change it now. It would be like a Christian atheist. You can't be a Christian and an atheist at the same time, and you cannot be a sovereign and a citizen at the same time. The sovereign people are way up there. They're above everything. And nobody wants to hear this, but they are above the law, except for one law, and that's the common law. The common law fits everybody, no matter where they are. It's unwritten. It's based on on, uh, reason, logic, and common sense custom, usage, practice, and procedure. In other words, before anybody ever sat down in a legislative body and said there ought to be a law against this or that, the common law was in place. And every nation on the planet has the common law, which is the only law system under the basic law of the land. The other basic law is the law of the sea. And that's where most everything today in our local governments all under the law of the sea. Even, you know, in Kansas, they're under the law of the sea. Well, wait, I don't see any sea here. Well, they're under the law of the sea through contracts. It was in the year 1844 A.D. that the law of the sea was allowed to come inland above the high tide mark on the Columbia River, the 
Mississippi River, the Colorado River, and the Hudson River, so that a ship's captain could maintain love to see control over his crew and his ship and the cargo and the passengers. And then they they liked that so much, they spread it out. Now through contracts, they had to, uh, they brought the law of the sea uh, to everybody. The first prisons, here, here's another kind of a crazy thing. The term license, permit, pass, and franchise, those four terms are really related to a governmentally created privilege that is taxable and regulatable and controllable. So a license is permission to do something that would be otherwise illegal. Why do people get a marriage license? People got married for years before 1853 was the first marriage license issued in the South for a white man to marry his mulatto slave because it was illegal to to do that in those days. And so he got a special permission with a marriage license. Uh, everybody before that, all my relatives, they were married without a license. They had a marriage contract. And then you had breach of contract. So you still had all the protections, but you didn't have the government meddling in into stuff like that. So now, today they want us to get a driver license. You know, in high school, I even took driver's ed so I could get a driver license. Well, I already had a driver's license because... Uh, I lived on a farm, and I could get one when I was 14 instead of 16 like everybody else. So they teach people right from the from scratch. We have what I call the public school system where they really miseducate people into believing what they want people to believe. You don't need a license to travel, and you have a right to travel. There's case law on that, and uh, we've got a whole brief on all that stuff. But it's... It's a, I, I haven't had a driver's license for 35 years, and I travel all over America in control of my automobile. My automobile is not a motor vehicle. Title 18, Section 31 defines a motor vehicle as a contrivance, conveyance, or machine used in trade, commerce, business, or industry for a fair fee or rate. That's not defining my automobile. And so my automobile is not under the vehicle code. Now, here's one thing that I, uh, I, I don't give legal advice, by the way. I just make a report on what my findings were over my study of 36 years. And I tell people what I would do if I had their problem. And I do documents for people. And then if, when they sign it, it's their document. But here's, here's what uh, on, on the uh, right to travel. Um, I don't, uh, let's see, where was I? I was going someplace with that. I'm having what's called a senior moment. <laughs> the, uh, Haven't had a license for 35 years? Yeah. Travel all over America? Yeah. Um, when I get stopped, uh, if I ever get stopped, it's very rare, but you can't help it. Sometimes you just get sucked in. Um to like a traffic, you know, uh, uh, drunk drunk driver uh, thing that pulls everybody off. Uh, I just tell them, well, my car is registered, and and the reason I, I remember my my topic now, my my automobile. By, by the way, I shouldn't have used the word car. 
Okay. The word car and, and vehicle and motor vehicle are all terms in commerce. You have railroad cars. That's in commerce. Hey. Okay? No, go ahead, Bob. Yeah. So uh, sometimes I mess up and I use the wrong word, but I correct it right away. <clears throat> My automobile is not a car and it's not a motor vehicle or a vehicle. There's some cases where the judge refers to a vehicle as a vessel, and that the vessel navigates the rivers of tar, believe it or not. This case law on that. So, no, my automobile is what I use to travel, and, uh, and I, I travel all over the place, and I'm in control of it. I'm behind the wheel and in control of it. Now, somebody might say, well, what would happen if everybody did that? Well, that would be wonderful. The, 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 the police can still control anything that is unsafe. See, America is considered what's known as a prima facie country. All the states are considered prima facie states. Now, prima facie means first blush, or what's most important. And that, that in, in the area of uh, law, it means you cannot do anything that is unsafe. So if you're weaving in and out of traffic at 100 miles an hour, that's unsafe. The cops can nail you for that. But he can't nail you under the vehicle code. He can only nail you for the the unsafe law. Now, then you can also do everything that is safe. Uh, I'll tell you who told me that. It was the police chief of the city of Redlands, California, about 40 years ago. My sister was dating his son, and he came to a birthday party, and there was a case about that time, and he was kind of shocked about it. But he said, do you know that you can do every, everything? You, you can do anything that's safe, even if it's against the law? He says, because um, if you, it, it's a two-edged sword. He says, you can't do anything that's unsafe. So the case law came down, so, so that means you can do everything that is safe. And uh, you, you might get nailed, you know, if you're doing 50 miles an hour in a 25 miles an hour zone on a Sunday when everybody's in church and the streets are vacant, that would be your argument. You could say, well, it was safe. There wasn't anybody around. I can, I can do that. And he says that would be an argument that you could use. So there's another argument that I've learned, and that is that unless the officer can prove that you were in commerce, see, my automobile is commerce ready I there's people that get thrown in jail there was somebody this last week that, that came to uh, to uh, Tad's uh, website and uh, poor guy's wife was in jail and it was because they were running with no plates now there are people that do that um, there's ways around that I don't do that myself uh, I don't have time to fool with it that's just that's just such a little thing, but it can take up a lot of time, and you can go to jail. I've made some jail runs myself. I get it right out, and then I sue them. But I'm not into just doing that. I don't want to set them up to sue them. I've got a lot of stuff to do. I'm too busy. Uh, and so my automobile is commerce ready, but it's not in commerce right now. I mean, if the officer saw saw me uh, hauling somebody, he could say, uh, are you taking this guy someplace for a fee? And if I say no, he's uh, he's just a rider. Remember, years ago, the older people will remember that the cross-country trucks used to have a 
a sign in the window, no writers. In fact, if you look at the the, the old movie, Grapes of Wrath, uh, that was one of the first things that came, that came up. One guy, one of the writers, can't you see the sign? No writers. Well, a writer is not somebody that's paid. He's not a passenger. A passenger is paid. Buses, trucks, airliners have passengers. So when I'm taking something, when I'm traveling around with get, with people in my automobile, they're not passengers, they're riders. And so the officer should determine that I have a passenger that's paying me before he even pulls me over. Or if, I'm, if I've got a truckload of stuff, he should find out if that's my stuff or am I hauling this for Harry. Um, and if I'm hauling my stuff, have a nice day. Uh, one time I was stopped uh, late at night, the officer came up and said, is this your trailer? And I said, yes, it is. I was pulling an old trailer. I, I caught antiques, that old water wheel, 31 Chevy water wheel trailer. Very strong. I can fill a full of refrigerators if I want to. It's very strong. And I said, yes, it is. He said, well, do you know your tags are expired? And I said, that trailer doesn't have tags. It has a permanent plate. The trailers have permanent plates nowadays. So he he told his his uh, training officer. So he says it's a permanent plate, and he and he the, the training officer said, "Well, that's true." Now what the officer should have done was say, "Thank you very much for stopping. Have a nice day. Sorry to bother you." No, he wanted to see my driver license, registration, and proof of insurance. So I showed him my registration and my proof of insurance, but then I told him I I'm not driving, and. Uh, so I'm not, I don't have a driver's license because I haven't had a driver's license in many years. And uh, so I'm not under the vehicle code. Well, then he had this, he says, do you have any ID? So I had a passport and he took it and he wrote me up a ticket. And he said, you know, I could, uh, I could arrest you and impound your vehicle. I said, well, it's not a vehicle. This is an automobile. It's not a vehicle. Didn't they train you uh, about words and their meanings? Well, no, not that way. I said, you know, you really you could be in serious trouble because you don't even have a proper oath of office. I've checked into all police and all uh, government officials in California don't have the the government the oath of office is specifically mandated by Article 20, paragraph uh, section three, paragraph one through five. And you didn't take that oath of office, which means you're intruding on my on my day here. So he decided to just hand me the ticket. And he, where I was going, I was going up into an area called Slab City, out in the desert. There's a place oh, yeah. that has. What's that? I said, oh yeah, I've heard of that. Go ahead. Slab City is way out by Mecca, California, and a lot of people just camp out there with their their RVs. Well, I was. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I wanted to go up in that area and spend the night because I wanted to go into and look at the uh, Peg Lake Pete mine. There was something in that area that I wanted to see. And so he offered to escort me to Slab City. He says, somebody else might write you up, and, and then we'd all be in trouble. So he, he, he escorted me up to Slab City, and then I, you know, I rolled out my sleeping bag in my trailer and spent the night. And uh, so now then, what do I do with the ticket? And I'll tell you what I do, and this is important. A ticket, we call it a citation a notice to appear, a promise to appear, it could be a red-by camera, uh, any kind of a traffic citation does not confer 
subject matter jurisdiction on any court or tribunal or administrative law tribunal. Most of them are administrative law tribunals. They're no longer courts of record. You look up in Black's Law Dictionary, a court of record proceeds after common law, which is under the law of the land. No, they're over at the law of the sea. So they're not courts of record. And um, jurisdiction, subject matter jurisdiction is conferred onto a judge or some kind of a judicial officer, which could be a judge pro tem, which is nothing but an attorney that's just helping out the helper boys. Uh, it could be a retired judge, it could be a court commissioner or a hearing officer or a referee. Those are all judicial officers. None of them have sworn or affirmed and then subscribed or signed to the proper oath of office. So they're all impersonating officers. This is what I do when I sue them. That's the cause of action right there. This is why there's a local police station. I had to, somebody told me in February this year, it says, you'd be interested, my attorney was over visiting the uh, California Highway Patrol and in the office uh, said, if you arrest Robert Schaefer, you will be fired. And that's the reason. is because they know everybody's going to get sued. The supervisor, mm-hmm. the training officer, and, uh, and everybody. Uh, and there was another Highway Patrolman about eight years ago that was working on my laptop through my computer guy. And he'd heard of me, and my my computer guy said, "Oh, really? You know, that's a hundred miles away." But did you hear about him? It? Because they they said if you have any contact with Robert Schaefer, leave him alone. He's not hurting anybody. Just look the other way. Then two weeks later, the highway patrolman brought up my name to to my computer guy and said, "Last week, the uh, the notice went to a warning. You will not confront Robert Schaefer." He wins in court all the time, and he's cost the state too many thousands of dollars. So I'm kind of, that's all I ever wanted was just to be left alone. I'm not hurting anybody under the prima facie law that I just mentioned. I can do anything so long as I don't cause the damage or an injury to somebody else. But see, that doesn't doesn't fly with the revenue generating uh, that these courts, these administrative law courts, are designed to do. You know, a lot of the courthouses, the newer ones, are owned by the judges. Now, there's, there's a, a, originally the courthouses would say the name of the court of the county first, like San Bernardino County Courthouse. Then they came up with the county of San Bernardino Courthouse. Now we have a brand new courthouse that says San Bernardino Justice Center. And what they should say is San Bernardino Revenue Center. <laughs> That's all it is. Out in Palmdale, they don't have they don't have the, the Los Angeles Courthouse, Los Angeles County Courthouse, or the County of San Bernardino. It's called the Los Angeles Courthouse, and I know for sure that one is owned by the judges. And they got a little bitter, and they have they have nothing but a problem. They're always closing it down because the air conditioner doesn't work, or the plumbing is broken, or something is wrong up there. I've been out the courthouse a lot helping people. Back in the days when I became a party with people, I joined in and I slugged it out with them myself. I, you know, you guys are messing with Bob now because I'm a party out here. So anyway, uh, this uh, uh, you walk into a courtroom and there's 30 to 50 people sitting there to talk to this judge or commissioner. And the, the, in traffic court, the commissioner has a copy of the notice to appear or the promise to appear. Now, I agree. You, you promise to appear. 
but that's not, uh, there's no binding effect of that. They would like you to think it is. And when you find out that this doesn't confer any jurisdiction on the judge, then why should you appear? Uh, now, once the court gets jurisdiction and you fail to appear, that's a misdemeanor. That's a crime. But they try to put that on this little notice to appear, which doesn't give the court jurisdiction. So here's a, an officer of the court sitting up there. He's all ready to, you know, he's wearing his black robe, and he's got his gavel, and he's in a courtroom, and he has a, um, a bailiff and um, a court clerk. And all that. It really looks like this is serious, but he doesn't have any jurisdiction at all until jurisdiction is conferred on him or her with jurisdictional granting papers. Now, for there to be a crime, those jurisdictional granting papers have to be prepared by some kind of a public prosecutor. It could be the county district attorney. It could be county council. Or it could be the city attorney. But it's got to be a public prosecutor, not the officer that stopped you at the roadside. The officer at the roadside is nothing but a witness. And that notice to appear is nothing but a witness statement. That's all it is. Now, it's supposed to go to the district attorney or some public prosecutor where he can look at it and say, yeah, I think I can win that. So, Sally's secretary, I want you to type, type up a formal verified complaint. Now, this is why they don't do this. They, they, they get all the money they can without going through these hoops. Type up a formal verified complaint. The officer has to come in and verify it. And that complaint has to have um, be pursuant to the rules of court on 8.5 by 11 paper. It has to be numbered, line numbered 1 to 28. Does your notice to appear comply with this? No. It has to be space and a half or double space. The type has to be pipe to type or 12 point pitch minimum. It has to have, the, uh, to qualify under the essential element rule, it has to have the entire law that you both put in there, not just the title and the code number like is on the notice to appear. The name of the court has to be on line eight. The name of the prosecutor has to be on line one and his bar card and his fax number and phone number and all of his address has to start on line one. The, the page has to be numbered. It can only be printed on one side. This is according to the California Rules of Court. This does not describe a notice to appear at all. And so that notice to appear doesn't confer anything onto that court or that guy that's playing, pretending to be a, an officer of the court. So he calls you, finally calls your name. You walk up. He says, you've been charged with violating vehicle code 12,500A, driving without a driver's license. How do you plead? The minute you open your mouth and enter a plea, you give that guy the jurisdiction that he does not have and so desperately needs. But there's a way out of that. You can, you can, and I'll tell you what that is too. But when you say, I plead guilty, you just convicted yourself. You plead not guilty, then you still entered into a controversy you plead no no contest. There's no no con no there there's no contest, but you can't they can't use that against you in, in case of a of a traffic accident where you could get sued for for injuries because you you no contest means I'm not going to fight it, but I'm not going to admit to it. So, but a plea when you enter a plea, that's very important. Any plea, 
And so what I say is, well, I've not seen any jurisdictional granting papers, and none of them have been served on me like the law requires. So I'm appearing here today specially and not generally for the sole purpose of challenging the subject matter jurisdiction of this uh, administrative law tribunal. I call it what it is. Now, see those four kinds of jurisdictions. There's subject matter jurisdiction. Now we're talking traffic out on the road. There's in personam jurisdiction. That's for persons. I'm not a person. Don't call me a person. I'm not a good person. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a person. A person is a, is a privileged entity created by the government like a corporation is a person and a partnership and, a, and, and trust. All those are persons. They can soon be sued as persons. See how they tricked us into believing that uh, we're under their jurisdiction. You look into all the codes in California, those 29 codes, it deals with persons. Persons is plural. People are plural. They could have said all people shall. If don't, that would be the, whenever the word people is involved, they're talking about the sovereign people. They're talking about all persons. They're talking about governmentally privileged entities. Well, if you have a driver's license and you're operating in commerce pursuant to a privilege to haul Harry's hay, then you are a person for a few hours. At the end of the day, you're back up to being a sovereign again. So you go back and forth and back and forth. It's the activity, the activity that is so important here. So if you're not a person, you're not under the vehicle code. So I'll just say I'm appearing here today, especially not generally for the sole purpose of challenging the jurisdiction. Now, with the jurisdictional challenge, I have three pages of jurisdictional challenge case law that says when jurisdiction is challenged, everything must come to a screeching halt. You cannot proceed. And when, when it's specifically a challenge, like from the land patent or the fact that I'm not a driver, specifically, they have to respond specifically and say, well, yeah, he, he is under the law because. And they've got to show some kind of evidence that, that is there. When you challenge a court's jurisdiction, the court cannot say, I decree or I declare I have jurisdiction. They do this all the time. I challenge court's jurisdiction all the time. They always come back and they declare they have subject matter jurisdiction. Right there is an appealable issue. I just helped somebody file a notice of appeal today in the state of Washington because the judge did that. So there's... Subject matter jurisdiction, in personam jurisdiction, then there's in rem jurisdiction, that's jurisdiction over the thing. It could be a car or the house or something. Then there's venue jurisdiction, you know, like this judge has jurisdiction in this county. He doesn't have jurisdiction in another county. He just has it, he's been seated in this county. So those are the four kinds, but there's case law that says when, when there is no subject matter jurisdiction, they can't have the rest of them. There are, there's no other jurisdiction, which comes up, has come up with a phrase. This, these people are in the clear, total, complete absence of all jurisdiction and liable. They have no immunity against the lawsuit. You see, we're going to talk about immunity now. Everybody that works for government are saying, you know, everybody's going to say they're going to sue you, but you're immune. You know, this judge over here, he has absolute judicial immunity. But that's only when he's doing a judicial act. And when he's up there lying to the people with the notice to appear, he doesn't have any immunity. That's a non-judicial act. 
even though it appears to be judicial, it's not because he doesn't have any jurisdiction with that notice to appear. Okay, then, then the officer that enforces the judge's orders uh, has quasi-judicial jurisdiction. Quasi means as if it were, but isn't. And the word is quasi, not quasi or quasi. It's quasi. Say the words right. Now then, court enforcement over here, they have what's known as qualified immunity. Then their other officer over there has good faith immunity, and that officer cited you has police officer immunity. But they don't have any immunity if they don't have any subject matter jurisdiction. So when they pull over a traveler and they cite them illegally, they don't have any jurisdiction, and they're liable for you can sue them. And that's why they want to leave me alone is because I will because they don't have any jurisdiction and they don't have any immunity. So they all cry like a baby when they get sued. You know, they think the court system is a one-way street. No, it's a two-way street. Uh, We can use it back on them also. You know, like, for instance, I did a citizen's arrest. I made a citizen's arrest on a police officer. And my my twin brother thought that was so cool, he did it too a week later. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because they violate the law all the time. And in both cases, they, these officers ran a stop sign. And one, mine was late for work, and the other was on his way to a donut stop. So, you know, proved out that they violated the law and been stuck. Um, and then I also made a citizen's arrest on a drunk. And uh, the guy was going to, you know, I pulled him over, and I, I was summoned for the police to come, and while we were waiting, he said he was going to run through my truck, and I said, I've decided to sacrifice my truck to keep you off the street. My children drive up and down this road. I should say travel. See, I even sometimes slip up. It's so easy. My children travel up and down this this road, and you're so drunk, you're, you're weaving all over the road. You're in the gutter on the opposite side. You're that drunk. No, you're, you're not. I'm not letting you go. You're not going to get away from this. So that's one thing that I think that good people ought to do is, is make citizens arrest whenever it's necessary. But you don't want to get hurt, hurt or killed. Now, um, another thing I want to say, that's the reason I have plates on my car, is that whenever a police officer stops you, you should comply. You don't want to be belligerent or in their face. You're going to go to jail. You're going to be in cuffs. You know, they have the guns and the badges and the black ropes on their side. You've got to play by their rules, and then you sue them later if you want to. But don't be in anybody's face. Uh, and I I recommend getting plates so that you're not stopped every other mile and then have to deal with that. But you could waste your life just fighting traffic because these people are not educated. You want to train them in the courtroom later but not right now. Um, this this poor lady had to spend a night or so. I don't know if she's still in jail from last, this uh, last she week. Got, she got out. Good. But see, when you post bail, that gives the court jurisdiction. And, you, you know, it's just the system, the criminal justice system is a criminal justice system. Did you get it? It's criminal. Yes. <laughs> And yet it's alive and well, and so it needs to be resisted, and this is the way I resisted. 
So I think that's everything I want to say about about traffic. Uh, I I go ahead and sign sign the notice to appear because I'm not going to go in. Now here's another thing: they may issue a warrant for your arrest, but under the Roost doctrine, that's R O S T. It's a United States Supreme Court decision that backed up a California Supreme Court decision says that if they don't exercise the the arrest warrant within 60 days, it becomes stale because that officer's talked to 100 people. In the meantime, he can't remember every little nitpicking thing that happened two months ago. They they came up with a 60-day rule. I didn't. And so um, I have a sheriff that's a friend of mine, and he told me, he said, uh, you know, there's a warrant for your arrest. Did you know that? And I said, yes, I mentioned this before. He said, I'm, I'm going to tell this again because there's new people on here. Uh, he says, well, I can write you up a new citation. That will kill that warrant. I can give you um, 180 days to get this thing worked out. It's like, isn't that cool? And I said, you know, I really appreciate that. You truly are a friend. But, you know, I really want some fool to arrest me because I need the money. And I said, you know, if somebody arrests me, I will tell them just, just to give them fair warning, you know, that warrant is defective on its face. And when something is defective on its face, and that's what you want to tell anybody that's arresting you with a warrant, just tell them it's defective on its face. And that means you lose all immunity if you arrest me for something that's defective on its face. That means you have had notice. You can look at it, look at the face of a document and see that it's defective. Now, if he says, well, how is it defective? My answer is, I'm not here to train you what you should already know. I'm going to let you go ahead and arrest me, and I'm going to train you in the courtroom. But I'll tell you people how it's defective on its face. It's older than 60 days. Look at the date. Anytime an arrest warrant is dated more than 60 days ago, it's stale. Leave me alone. But they arrest people all the time on a 10-year-old warrant. Those the people that work for government are very poorly trained in law, and 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 they're they're ignorant of the law. They they're there to raise money and to control people and get people to fear them. And we should have enough respect and to and so we say fear to comply. We should comply with everything they do. And if they ask us to do something that's just totally wrong, then we saw. And we saw them later, and we proved they had an absolutely no immunity, not with that document. Now, in the courtroom, there's 40 to 50 people sitting there. That judge probably has jurisdiction on five to eight. The rest of those people, he should say, well, sir, thank you for coming in. You honored your commitment, but the court didn't give any jurisdiction with this little piece of paper that's up here. Uh, you're free to leave. Uh, nobody filed a formal verified complaint. I don't see any indictment here or any information. And those are the three documents, an indictment information or uh, formal verified complaint is what confers jurisdiction on that judge. So he gets those. He's Mr. Smith, not Judge Smith, on a case-by-case study. So there's just thousands of people that can get sucked into this without any knowledge. And the tickets nowadays are not twelve to fifteen dollars, they're eighty five to one hundred and sixty dollars. And they stand in line by the hundreds. I've seen over a hundred people stand in line to go in to the second floor and pay their fine. And 
they can, if they had any knowledge between their ears, they'd say, wait a minute, there was no jurisdiction there. I'm not going to pay that. And then we also have a we have an offer to pay that uh, kills all fines also. You know, there's more than one way to go over, under, around, or through any kind of a roadblock that they might throw up at us. So, okay, uh, ready I'm ready for, for uh, Q&A. Okay, if you guys, if you have any questions, hit star eight on your phone, star eight, chirp, chirp. So, I've got a question. Sure. Uh, let's say a sheriff's deputy pulls you over, gives you a ticket, and, you know, you sue people, you sue them all the way up to the top. Would that sheriff also be liable for that ticket? Yes. The 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 the, the head sheriff. Um, right, the one that's it, elected. It, yeah, it was it was almost, I would say it was 20 years ago that I sued the sheriff and uh, three deputies and, and their wives. Because of community property laws, I sued the sheriff and his wife and the three deputies and their wives. And in those days, you could get their home address from the voter registration laws. They've since got some kind of protection now. But I had everybody, my process servers were all timed. They synchronized their watches. They knocked on the door at the same moment so nobody could make a phone call. They don't answer your door. And everybody got served on Thanksgiving Eve when the family was coming over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I like to do things that make a, that make a statement. I mean, that's what they do. They right. don't like it when we do that, but it's just too bad. So how did that case turn out with your sheriff? Did they dismiss it, or did you get the sheriff fired, or what? What happened? Well, I, I used the United States District Court, which used to be the District Court of the United States, and before that it was the Federal District Court. But... Uh, the um, the um, magistrate judge looked at the two law two office two excuse me two lawyers that were representing the opposition, and uh, he said, "You've seen my tentative order," and uh, they said, "Yes." Well, the tentative order was to rule in their favor. And they said, "Do you have anything you want to add?" And they said, "No." It was like, "That's cool. We're, we're here for this. See this happen that way." So then the magistrate judge looked at me and said, well, Mr. Schaefer, have you seen my Kennedy order? And I said, yes, I have. He said, now's your opportunity to change my mind. And I did. <laughs> um, what happened was the, um, the sheriff sent me a letter, said that you will not serve people at their home. That under California Penal Code 602S, uh, you can't do that. And if you do that, uh, you're going to you know, be in deep trouble. Um, it was a, a threat there. So I sued him for that because I know how to read now, and I went and learned uh, uh, 602S is a brand new one that it was in those days. And that is if, if I had been convicted of a violent crime on their property, they could then order me to stay away forever on um, Penal Code 602S. Well, that, none of that applied. So I told the judge, the magistrate judge, I said, uh, I've never been convicted of a violent crime. 602S doesn't apply to me. Um, and so I can, sue, I can sue them at their house. And the, the other guy says, well, he didn't, uh, 
say he he would arrest him for serving, for coming on that property. Said he could, and um, I couldn't. No, he can't. Uh, and it's it's not a matter of would or could. Uh, and the judge ruled in my favor. So see how important words are. Whenever yeah. the sheriff sent me that that letter that says you could be arrested if you come come on, he didn't say you would be, did he? But no. I sued him for that anyway, and it stuck. <laughs> Okay, we got somebody that has their hand raised, Bob, somebody in Minnesota. Your phone's just unmuted. Go ahead. Hi. Hi, Tad. Hi, Bob. Hi. Hi. I'm, I, I'm the guy that, that whose wife got out of, out of jail. <laughs> so, um, uh, just a minute. I, just a minute. My, my hearing is very bad. I need you to speak louder <laughs> and slower, very distinctly, because otherwise I can't hear you. Okay, I, I'm the I'm the man whose uh, wife got out of jail for uh, uh, you know being arrested uh, for for private plates. Okay. Yeah, but uh, my the question I wanted to focus on right now is at the bond hearing, they the first day they had the people uh, that were willing to go under the prosecutor. You know, they could get bonded out, and they had everybody else that either did not have the money or, you know, in Sharon's case, she did not, um, you know, want, want to prosecute, you know, wanted the defense. And so they had to wait to the second day, which was uh, the, the court date of Tuesday. She was arrested on Sunday. But so at the bond hearing, uh, she was there and, and they offered her, you know, a defense attorney, and, and again, and, and she said, no. She had a, a counsel there, and, and he said, who's that? You know, and then I stood up and I said, I'm the pro se uh, litigant uh, for the defense, and and I, you know, I stood up. And then he kind of ignored me. He didn't ask me to sit down, but I didn't really know what to do after that, you know, uh, to. Um, uh, you know, he set the bond at a thousand dollars, and um, and he was trying to act like he was doing everybody doing doing Sharon a favor, you know, because he said he could have set it at ten thousand. Um, <clears throat> so I don't know. I, I I didn't really know what to do at that point. Well, you could say I object. Uh, I'm, I'm appearing here today, especially and not generally, to challenge the subject matter jurisdiction of this administrative law tribunal. My understanding that um, that notice to appear that she signed is it, not a jurisdictional granting paper, that it doesn't comply with the local rules of court for a format for any jurisdictional granting paper, and that it doesn't comply with the essential element rule. And therefore, it's not, uh, she's not been formally charged, and therefore, uh, there's a failure to prosecute a time that demands she be released at once, forthwith. That's what I would have said. Yeah, just right, right from where I, right from where I stood, that would have been the thing to do, right? Or walk up to the, uh, you know, to the stand, or. or... No, I, I wouldn't go um, past the bar. Okay. No, you do everything from the audience. Even if okay. they ask you to go past the bar, you would say, "I decline to go behind the bar. I'm going to decline that invitation." Uh, I'm not going to give the court jurisdiction by going past the bar. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. 
But now you see the little spiel that I just said. That was uh, done with my eyes closed. Um, people can uh, download this and, and, and write it out. They, mm-hmm. they should do. In fact, I recommend, you know, there's so many people who say, I wish I knew what you knew. And it reminds me of a, uh, there was a great pianist that, that did a concert and at the reception. Somebody made the statement, I'd give half my life to be able to play the piano like you do. And he said, I did. <laughs> and so you don't have to give half your I've given half my life, half my adult life. I've been doing this for 36 years and I'm 74. And so I've spent half my life learning what I've learned. And uh, I'm in these conference calls, I'm just hitting the high points. And so people can download these and, and um, play them in their car as they're going to work and go over it and over it and over it. There are people that do that. And when I talk to them, they sound like I do. And that's a compliment, but it works in the courtroom. So you need to uh, take that little spiel and memorize it for future. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Colorado, you're next. Hey, how's it going? Hey, hey, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Uh, so, yeah, I was calling because I've had a few uh, traffic incidents in my life. I've actually uh, tried to use this technology a few times. Um, last time I actually went to court, made a special appearance, and I asked the, the judge, like, what the subject matter jurisdiction was. And uh, he just replied, like, you know, go look in a book or go find that out yourself pretty much. And then I conditionally accepted that, and I asked him uh, to prove that he doesn't have the pretty much like the duty to um, address my Sixth Amendment or like that's like their whole contract. Like the Sixth Amendment says you're guaranteed to know the, uh, the nature and cause of the action. So I pretty much like conditionally accepted the offer upon proof of claim that he didn't like have the right to like deny me the answer. And then he uh, had the deputy pretty much to escort me uh, after that. So um, I know this like... Let, 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 let me interrupt just a second here. I didn't know this yeah. would be this long because I was going to ask Chad to translate this for me because this is a bad connection and I'm not hearing, I hear somebody talking. So if Chad can, can pass on what you're saying in a brief thing or you'll have to start over and speak very slowly and distinctly and right in the microphone. I'm sorry, but right. I'm almost done. I had done. on speaker. Okay, I had on yeah, speaker, speak, so yeah, let me speak repeat in, it. Speak into the microphone and exaggerate your words so that Bob can hear it very clearly. And give off of the speakerphone. Yeah, I was on speaker. Uh, can you hear me better now? Or is yes. it clear enough? Yeah, that's better if you speak slow and distinctly like that. Okay. Um, yeah, so I got arrested for a traffic um, incident last year, and I went to court while I was actually in custody still. Um, and so I made a special appearance. And I basically uh, I asked the judge what the subject matter jurisdiction was. And so he told me to go look that up in a book. And then I said, uh, I conditionally set that offer upon proof of claim, but I don't have the right to know the nature and cause of this action. And so he just had me escorted out by the deputy, like, pretty much instantly. Um, he, like, froze up and just, like, he didn't know what to do. So um, anyway, like, and they had a, a lawyer that tried to represent me. And I actually said, like, I'd never gave this guy my consent. To speak for me, so that's slow, thing I said. Slow, slow, slow down, please. Okay, so I had an attorney, like they had a public def- uh, defender, but I had never conversed with him previously. He was just standing at the podium, 
while they called all these people's cases that were in custody. There's like a morning, you know, court. And then, uh, so he, he was talking for me, but I hadn't even gone up to the podium yet. Like he was talking before I got there. So I said to the judge, I said, I never gave consent to have this man speak for me because I didn't want to be represented, obviously. Um, and then I also said, I'm making a special appearance. And I said, and I asked him what the subject matter jurisdiction was because I wanted to see what he would say. And he didn't. He didn't know what to say. So pretty much, they just had me escorted. But I'm. I'm. I'm pretty much wondering, like, can I appeal that, or like, is it like I already pled guilty to it just because it was like I had another choice? But I mean, uh, can I still appeal that? I assume not, because I. I didn't. I pled guilty. But um, I don't know what's your take on it. Well, I picked up enough. I think that I can respond to your question. Um, first of all, let me say this, this is in general. At the end of a hearing, if there's anything, one out of ten, anything you don't like, then you say, I'm giving you my uh, notice of interlocutory appeal, uh, my verbal notice of interlocutory appeal, and I'll give you my written notice of interlocutory appeal timely. Now, okay. they, they probably won't know what that means. There's a lot of clerks don't know what that means. See, in California, they you can't appeal uh, every little nitpicking thing. They call it, they, they, they've instituted the one final judgment rule. Well, a rule is not a law. It's way down there as far as uh, the hierarchy of laws. It's called the one, the, the final, one final judgment rule. In other words, you want, they want to go through the whole court case. You could be sitting in jail before you get to that final judgment, and then you can appeal it. So, but if you go into Black's Law Dictionary and look up interlocutory appeal, it says I've heard that, they're of it. Okay, that they're okay because of some of these uh, appealable issues might uh, be in the interest of judicial economy and solve this thing before we go through all those hoops. So you right. want to file an appeal right, right away. Now, as okay. far as uh, a... a uh, a court-appointed attorney, you want to get it on the record. And you, whenever you say, uh, for the record, you start every sentence out, for the record, I will, okay. not accept, I will not accept an attorney that is beholding to my enemies. Okay, that makes sense. And I'm not going to accept him. Uh, I have the right, I have a Sixth Amendment right to the assistance of counsel. I, I understand that's not a right to an In attorney private. or a lawyer. Right, private and I, counsel. And I, I, will, I demand that I have my friend come in. It's my next friend. You can look that up in the law dictionary. A next friend can help me. And then there's the uh, there's a court case, uh, the um, Railway Trainman versus the Virginia State Bar, I believe it was, where the, the one that's best, most knowledgeable in the group can speak for the group. So now they're going to usually... Deny all that. That's an appealable issue. In other words, yeah. everything I do is a setup. We're going to set them up to win. I can get a guilty guy off because of their procedural mistakes. I want them to to do their procedure properly. The, 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 our legislators have created a procedure that they have to comply with, and they don't. And the reason they get away with it is because the average American... Would rather have another better. beer, have another beer, and watch the game, and they don't care. Yeah, look at procedure. And another thing, uh, you said when you bond out, like when you post bail, that automatically gives them jurisdiction. So your um, advice, or so to that's, speak, for lack of a better word, that's very, that's very true. But you see, you can get around that by saying that that was 
you were forced to do that. There was no meeting of the mind there. You did that under threat, right. arrest, and coercion. Force of arms and right. out of jail. And, I actually uh, signed. I actually signed all my papers under duress and without prejudice. Um, that's that's I'm actually. I'm on a case right now. The same thing. Traffic. No. You know, no accident. Just like some stupid shit. Uh, and so I had to post bond and all that, and I put without prejudice for under duress. One of the two. And then, uh, so you're saying I could go to court and still make a special appearance and challenge that because it wasn't actually a consensual agreement, or like, what do you? Is that like correct? Or, I mean, yeah. See, that that's one way you can honestly not not comply with your your promise to appear, and that's because it was exacted from you under threat, arrest, and coercion, under, under force of arms, and threat of jail. There was no meeting of the minds. You you had to do that. To keep from um, getting the losing my property yeah. further for false arrest and false imprisonment. Now let me tell you, when you're arrested, a lot of people don't realize that when you are pulled over, you are detained. That's right, all. You are. You're just you're just detained. When that officer puts ink on paper, you are under arrest. Even though he doesn't cuff you and take you in, he will let you go under your own recognizance when you sign. I recommend signing. I don't have. I have, I, have, I have another. I have another question as well because uh, so when I got arrested, um, I actually ran on foot, and then they were mad because they had to chase me and stuff. So they actually left me in the back of a cop car for several hours while I was like 100 degrees outside. And when I got to the jail, I was like extremely dehydrated. Is there like any like and like it's like verified with the nurse that my uh, vital vitals were real low as well? Is there any way I could like sue them for like not only just like false arrest but also like abusing? like, my rights and, like, kind of, like, pretty much, like, negligently, yeah, like, harming me. That's a cause of action right there. Now, you, uh, I've mentioned this before, but it can't be mentioned too many times. Uh, Vince Lombardi, the coach of the Green Bay Packers, made a statement to his team, which works good on a football field, but it also works good in the battlefield and in the courtroom. And that is the best defense is a good we get offense. offense. So as yep. soon as you sue them... They are a party to your case, and that pulls, uh, should pull them off. Now, there's cases when they don't. They stay on. By staying on, you know, I, so many people are negative. Like, well, that didn't work. No, it did work. Right. That's an appealable issue. Take advantage right. of all their mistakes. They make mistakes all the time, and if the judge stays on, that's a mistake. That's called reversible error. So the first thing I would do would be to solve but not in the state court where they have the good old boy system. They all back each other up. You want to do it in the United States District Court. Oh, okay. So you say you have to file a suit in the United States District Court? That's what I would do. I can't tell you to do that, but that's what I would do. That's what you would do? Okay, that makes sense. Um, I have, like, one last question. So you have probably a bit of knowledge and know how the whole, like, system works and about appeals really well. Like, where does... Where's the best uh, source of this information? Wait, 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 wait. Slow down, please. Speak more distinctly. So my question is, where is is a good source for, like, all the information that you've accumulated? Like, where, like, did you just research it all and, like, through books and, like, figure it all out? Or is there, like, a summation or, like, a good, like, feel like it? The book is is being written, but right now you'll have to listen to these, uh, these conference calls. Okay, that makes sense. Cause I've had there, to do a lot is, of legwork and homework. There, there, is, there is no book written that says what I say. 
Yeah, I know. There's, 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 a, there's, there's a lot of people that wrote a, that read a book and they and they do they do conference calls and they don't know what they're talking about. I listen. Yeah, a lot to, of misinformation for conference sure. Conference calls and I hear I hear so much bad information. And yep. I'll tell you one right now. You, you do not have a right to a trial by jury when the mounting really? controversy is twenty dollars. Like people. Oh yeah. Uh, preach. If you read the first words of the Seventh Amendment, it says, in suits at the common law, you have a right to a trial by jury. No matter what. Exactly. When they pull you that's in true. under Roman civil law, that's not, you don't have a right to a trial by jury under Roman civil law. Yeah, they, can give you, they can give Vatican you a jury law. trial. They can give you a jury trial, which is for completely judge. different than a trial by jury. Now, for those oh, people... Really? Really, a, a jury trial is where the judge says, "I will judge the law; you will judge the facts," mm-hmm. and and the, and you can go up on appeal. Now, under trial by jury, if you read the Seventh Amendment, there is no appeal. You can get it over with and get on with your life. And the jury is a jury of your peers. Your peers, yep. And and um, but that's at the common law. So when you sue. You want to make an instead of a, a complaint, you want Formal to verified. make an action. You want to make an oh. action at law, and you want to make okay. a paragraph that says it's the intent of the of the accuser here to invoke the common law, law of the land, jurisdiction of this honorable court of record. It's not a court of record, but you're going to claim it is. Make it. And then you're, you're going to make it. This if this is not such a court of record, then I respectfully demand that this tribunal transfer this case to such court of record. Now then, if wow. they, during the trial, if you say, well, now, if I don't like what happens here, do I get to appeal? And if the judge says yes, then you know it's, a, it's not a court of record and it's not a common law because the Seventh Amendment says it, it will not be... There is no appeal. Read the Seventh Amendment. And uh, so you say, well, I'm giving this court my uh, my verbal notice of interlocutory appeal right now, and I'm not going to proceed any longer anymore. I demanded a, a trial uh, by jury where the jury judges both the law and the fact, and the judge sits and maintains order and procedure, and that's it. Have you ever claimed there's a conflict of interest due to, like, the attorneys all working on the same team for the state or same with your public defender as the judge, like, they all work for the same entity? Is that, like, a, have you ever claimed yeah. that as a conflict of interest? Or, I mean, you just usually not go that route? It is a conflict of They're all officers of the court. Right. I mean, they all work for the same entity, even, like, the one that they try to appoint for you. It's, like, uh, still working for the same, the same entity pretty much. They're all employed by the same office. Yeah, it's all in, it's all in commerce now. They're not even they're not even corporate Now I'm going to read the Seventh Amendment so you can understand what we are talking about. It starts okay. out. It's, the title is Trial by Jury, Section One. In suits at common law, and that's where these other guys they don't get it. They they miss that. Just go right over the top of that. In suits <laughs> at common law. For the value in controversy shall exceed $20. That means $20 of silver. Back in those days, they were silver dollars. 
The right mm-hmm. of a trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. I've not ever found the rules of the common law yet in 36 years. Maybe somebody can send those to me, but I don't know what that would be. Uh, and, and by the way, it says any court of the United States. That, that means the... Uh, the uh, you know the federal government in those days when they when they wrote this, uh, the United States was also considered the United States of America. There's a there's a case that says in the old law dictionary you look up the word United States and it says it, it has three meanings and one of them is the states united that would be all 50 states and and that's what this one was referring to. Then it talks about another one means the government that's uh, set up to deal with the family of nations. And then there's uh, there's a third one. You see, since the Act of 1871, uh, they have a federal corporate government, and that federal Mm -hmm. corporate government has created an overlapping jurisdiction all over America. See, originally the, the, the federal government was put in place to be like the guardhouse to protect uh, the coastline. They had the, the Coast Guard who kept the pirates away from the coastal cities. Um, the, the Navy was basically close by. The, the Navy finally went out to the deep sea. Um, then they were, the federal government was to give us the national money and the National Postal Service. And then besides that, stay out of our way. It wasn't to do what they're doing now. So in, in 1871, right. which was 10 years after the 1861 um, Civil War, when, 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 when uh, the, the uh, legislatures of seven southern states got up and walked out of Congress, it right. the, the government of the United States of America, and so it took them 10 years later to create a, the United States Incorporated, which is really the District of Columbia, and that was created... Um, for, for the uh, slaves to have a citizenship someplace, they were free to leave and go back to Africa. But if you're going to stay here, it's going to be you're going to be your citizenship is going to be in the District of Columbia, also known as the United States Incorporated. But you could reside. Well, that's a commercial term. You could reside. That's a commercial term mm-hmm. in one of the several states. So ever since then, we've had the United States Incorporated running the show, and it's all under commerce. And over the years, they came up with the 1940 Buck Act, which which uh, uses the term in this state, and the word state is uppercase. That's the first. That's what, that's when they started spelling um, stuff that referred to things differently. And then the postal code that came out, the zip code, zip stands for Zone Improvement Program Code, and that's the federal code that the post office uses. So now. I don't accept mail as a zip code, but I do accept it in care of. I'll just put C slash O in front of my uh, location. See, I don't have an address. Uh, the address of, of my my of the uh, land that I have is 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 their address. They gave they put an address on my land, so it's not my address. But I will get mail in care of that location that they use so uh, i don't bother i can you can put the zip code in brackets which means it's not there i don't even do that i just 
I just put in care of, so you can get, I'll get mail in care of that address. Oh, okay, that's, that what they, that's what they so, did. They've usurped all kinds of power and authority so slowly. Uh, jurisdiction. There's somebody, one of the, I've got to look it up, I've got it somewhere. Somebody said that these evil changes happen so slowly that you don't get it when it's happening. It's, right, because like, it's, like, it's happening like, like too quick. When they brought the law of the land uh, in inland, the law of the sea uh, inland, that was for a good reason. Usually everything is for a good reason, like the chipping that they're going to give people. We're going to have a chip, just like the Bible says, in our forehead or in the back of our right hand. They, they're already doing that for welfare people. And it's a good reason. You, you just you can't steal it. It's in the back of your hand. You, the welfare people in New York City, I understand, they just walk in and put their hand under a reader and and they can see how much money is left in their account. They get their groceries and leave. And, and you, you right, can have your you can have your father that's uh, 98 years old and senile. When he gets lost, they can read the chip in the back of his uh, in, a, in his forehead or in the back of his neck. Excuse me, or it's not in the back of his neck. It's in, a, in the right hand okay. on people. So, so we, everything we, starts out for a good reason, and then it goes bad. Well, yeah, so we, we, we got to get on to other. Uh, callers here, people that have other yeah, questions. Okay, so if you do have a question, hit star 8 on your phone. Talk to Bob. Uh, okay. Florida Panhandle. You're next. Hello? Hi, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I have one question, and I wanted to make a, a, a kind of a statement. Uh, the first question I have are um, things like uh, highway patrol, for example, when they stop you and the court and the traffic courts, are those admiralty jurisdiction? Okay, I'm going to need you to translate that for me, Chad. I didn't hear everything. What was your question one more time? Oh, sure. Um, are the traffic courts and the state troopers who stop you, are they all like ad, under admiralty did you get are that? Under, are they under admiralty? Yes. yes. State yes. courts and, and state troopers. Yes, because they're all under admiralty. And and if you're in commerce, you are too. If you're if you're uh, working, in other words, if you are truly a driver of a motor vehicle and you're out on the road using my right of way for your place of business, you are under admiralty just like they are. But if you're not, you're just traveling. You have a right to travel. From state to state, in fact, you can that was the case on on the right to travel, but um, they're ignorant, and I you know that doesn't mean they're stupid. It means they're uninformed. Their train the training is wrong, and so you need to tra- train them in uh, in the courtroom. You know, just tell them, sir, I'm not a, you, you have no subject matter jurisdiction to be stopping me. But, you know, I'm not going to resist you, whatever you do, you know, but I just don't want to see you get sued. You and your supervisor and your training officer, I, I would have to sue you and your training officer and your supervisor for failure to train you properly. Because, yeah. you know, this is called false arrest and false imprisonment. See, remember when they put ink on paper, that's an arrest. Because there's a case law that says when the officer... Uh, hands the arrested person a notice to appear, and the arrested person signs the notice to appear. They're talking about an arrest, and they're talking about a person. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Well, um, the, the reason why I was asking is, you know, whenever you ask the judge, you know, jurisdiction, they never admit to admiralty, even when I brought it up to them. Uh, I know. I know. They, they, and, the, and, and yet they have an admiralty flag hanging beside them with a gold-braided fringe all around it. Exactly. But I wanted, I wanted to mention this. <clears throat> it was uh, <clears throat> about a week and a half ago, I went to traffic court for a, for a, for a ticket, and the trooper who stopped me was there in the court. And uh, I began by questioning him because when he stopped me and came up to my window, the first thing I, I talked first, and the first thing I told him was that I was not in transportation, I was not in commerce, I was not in traffic, I was, uh, you know, I was uh, traveling, I'm in my automobile, <clears throat> and uh, he decided to write me a ticket anyway. That was so because then, of his ignorance. Right, exactly. So then when I went to court, um, the, uh, the judge was there, and I explained to the judge what had happened, and then I started asking him questions. And what was interesting was behind me were like five or six state troopers, and they were all kind of like making little, little jokes like, you know, like, I, I, I so many words like I'm an idiot, I'm crazy. And what I did was I asked him, I said, I asked him, I, I, I said, um, when, when, when anything that moves on the road, can you stop anything and everything that moves on the road? And he got quiet, and he said, well, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I think so. And he looked at the other troopers, and they're all like, oh, what is, you know, who is this guy who's asking these questions? But, but here's what happened. I, when I looked up the traffic, uh, the, the supposed, um, uh, oh, what was it, the supposed statute, there's an administrative code that says that that statute can only be used on turnpikes and for semi-tractor trailers. And so I brought up the fact that there was this administrative code. Then I also brought up that, um, that according to Dun and Bradstreet, all of the high Florida Highway Patrol is a privately owned corporation, just as, of course, the very court I'm in is a, is a privately owned corporation. And after I told her that, she just started reading off some statutes and charged me for the ticket anyway. So, uh, yeah, the, they don't care what you say. They're into raising revenue. Right, exactly. Exactly. So I, I was just trying to figure out, though, how do, you, how do you enforce that with them to say, hey, look, here's this, here's this um, you know, administrative code that says that this statute can only be used over here, and yet you're still using it against me, and I wasn't even in commerce or anything else. I, okay, just yeah, this, this is a good case of, how, of why people of how people give up too soon. For me, that's a cause of action. I would sue that judge, and I would sue the officer. And then we could get all that out in, 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 a, in a court where they have the time. And the United States District Court has more time. The state courts, are, it's a cattle call. It's just next, 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 exactly. pay over there, next. The U.S. Yes. District Court has more time where they'll look up your case logs and you can train the officer over there. <laughs> yeah, well, one thing when they try to pull the immunity stuff, you know, that they're they're you know they're a sworn officer and they have immunity. Um, I guess the way I could argue that is to say, no, you're not because you're acting under color of law, and you are a private corporation. Would that be like a fairly good 
way to go after it? Yeah, that's that's good. You can, but you see, you want to challenge their jurisdiction. In fact, you can challenge their jurisdiction at the curb and say, you know, you don't have any subject matter jurisdiction with me, and I'm not going to resist you. I just have to give you notice so that I can sue you and your and your training officer and your supervisor someday in the future because I have three pages of jurisdictional challenge case law that says. Once I give you a jurisdictional challenge, you can't proceed. Now, if you go ahead and proceed, then, you know, that's what I have to do. I'm going to have to sue you. One one last question. Can you do that even after a decision has been made in the court? Say that again slowly. Uh, Can you challenge jurisdiction even after the judge made that determination? Um, Yes. The case office says you can challenge jurisdiction in the 15th year of a 30-year sentence. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Uh-huh. You bet. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, you bet. Um, if anybody else has any questions, hit star eight. California, you're next. Hi, Bob. I have a question for you. You mentioned sure. that you have you mentioned that you have plates on your car in California. How did you go about doing that? Um, Regarding insurance, I have How about a, getting the registration. I just went into the DMV and the Department of Motor Vehicles and registered it, and got plates and got insurance. Just, just the old, old-fashioned way, just the standard way of just went ahead and registered like you would any any other way. <laughs> Right. Well, the ins- the insurance though required. Don't they look at? Um, don't they request the driver's license? History yeah, well, I, in order to what you do? I'll tell you. That, I'm glad you brought that up. There's a way around that. You go to um, insurance companies that that uh, insure Mexicans. Okay. <laughs> in, in in our in my area, there's uh, there's an insurance company. Uh, that uh, is, is is very big. I mean, it must have a hundred offices, and they they insure Mexicans, so they don't have driver's licenses. And I walk in the door and I say, well, "You insure me without a driver's license, sure, have a chair." Hey, Tad. Yeah. If could you get that information from Bob off off the call? And, um, so I well, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's called Adrianas. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> they, they'll, they'll, they will insure you without a driver's license. Okay. Thank, Thank you, Thank you. All right, Minnesota, when your phone on mute, it's your turn. <clears throat> Go ahead. Hi, I, yes, thank you. I had, I had a question, Bob, about if... If I wanted to take a, a case to the, uh, you know, to to the federal, would that case, if it was if it was filed with the federal, would that take the case away from the the county circuit court? Well, yeah, you can do that. It's called a notice of removal, and so you can have it removed to the U.S. District Court with a notice of removal. And as soon as you give them notice, it is removed. They have to make a remove to have it. They have to make a motion to have it remanded back, which may happen. 
but that'll stall it, and uh, and you can give you more time to learn your argument for when it does get back, or they might keep it. But yeah, notice that removal is, uh, and you have to point out that there's a federal question here. You see, the U.S. District Court is set up for federal questions or diversities. So diversity is if if you're suing somebody in a different state. So if I got stopped in Arizona and I'm in California, I could sue Arizona uh, under diversity of citizenship, although I don't claim any citizenship, I, and I don't. I, I claim uh, federal question. I have a I have a right to travel, and these people interfered with my right to travel. So th that would be filed uh, first at the uh, circuit court in the, in the county, or would that be filed first at the th – does the circuit court the one that first addressed that with? Well, different states call circuit courts different things. Uh, in California, we have – we used to have a police court and a, a uh, city court and a municipal court, and they all got the, into what they originally called the uh, – Let's see, what was it? Consolidated course. Now they just call it the Superior Court. And then we can appeal to the uh, appellate department of the Superior Court. And then the, we can appeal to the uh, Court of Appeals, the State Court of Appeals. Then we appeal to the California Supreme Court. And then we can appeal out to the United States Supreme Court. You start out in the U.S. District Court, you, you start out at the lowest U.S. District Court, then you can court to the Circuit Court, like the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is what we would go to here. And then you can go to the United States Supreme Court. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's sad but true. There are people who have lost and lost and lost and lost and when it got to the United States Supreme Court, had four United States Supreme Court justices say, you lose. But five said, no, they, no, he doesn't. He was right all the way back to square one. So that's called a five to four decision. Now, that means you have to afford justice in America. You have to afford to be able to take it all the way to the United States Supreme Court. And uh, when you get there, they only look at about 1%. It 6,000 cases, and they look at 60 a year. And the only way the only way you can get in is when you have a case, and I'm, I'm going to quote, of great public interest. In other words, they're just going to look at the stuff with great public interest. I think land patents and traffic is great public interest myself. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Bob. See these, what these uh, uh, police officers are doing. Is is they're going into the shopping malls, and, and and they're trying to find like women that are shopping, uh, you know, looking for like lack of insurance. They're going into the shopping mall parking lots and arresting women right out of the stores in Woodbury, Minnesota. They're arresting them for what? They're they're arresting them for like uh, like you know like a driver's license a violation or insurance a violation while their car is parked, while they're walking into the store. And how do they and get that information? By just running it on a computer? I guess so, yeah. Well, yeah, see, it's all about revenue. Years ago, they couldn't drive around looking and running plates. Now they can't. They even have, they have stuff on the city's garbage trucks that runs plates. At the end of the day, they run them on, they know where they go back and they cite people. 
Yeah, it's getting way out of hand. We have a police state, whether you like it or not. <clears throat> All right. Okay. Well, well, that's that's not good I news. Got, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got a couple more questions on the board, Bob, and then we're going to call it a night. Okay. So, if you register your car with the state, doesn't it become a defined motor vehicle? Also, since it's registered, could it not be confiscated? Well, everything can be confiscated just because they're going to do what they want to do. So I don't look at that as as a stop. No, it's only only a motor vehicle if it's used as a motor vehicle. Until then, it's really considered as household goods. I've got a bunch of case law on on household goods. Don't Don't call my household goods a motor vehicle. Okay. Um, it's the activity that, 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 excuse me, it's the privileged activity of using the highway as a place of business that makes it a motor vehicle, not the, not the place. Okay. My, my, my automobile is commerce ready. I can, ah. and, and people that have a driver's license, they are commerce ready, but they're not in commerce until they enter into the activity. Would it be effective to send notice to highway patrol sheriff about your private status and then not having a license? Hold it. Wait, wait, wait. Let me back up. Hold it. Let me back up. Let me back up. What are your thoughts regarding sending a fee schedule to the sheriff in advance for any services you render, like a roadside stop? And would it be effective to send a notice to the highway patrol sheriff about your private status and not having a license? Well, I would I would think that last part would be good. I wouldn't do the first part because that's just uh, in their face, and they're going to want to try to make an example out of you about okay. your fee schedule. But then you see, if you do that, that last part, then you keep a copy of that letter with you, and if somebody stops you, you can say, "Well, look, I've given notice. This is this is nothing new here," and then. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have on my window, on my driver window, I have a little sticker that says "Not for Hire." And there are some police officers who have said we're t- we're trained to, to not bother people with "Not for Hire" on their way. Okay. In other words, I'm not in commerce. So, one other question: Was it the Roost doc- doctrine? What do you call it? R O S T. Rost. And uh, next week I'll give you the citation for that. I don't have it in front of me. Okay. And you can look it up yourself. And it's not a bad idea to to go get a copy of it. You can get it online probably and just carry it with you if you think there's a warrant out for your arrest so that you can show the officer. <laughs> or, if, or otherwise you, 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 you could just say, you know, I have this case file that says if you arrest me, I get to sue you. And, you know, I really need the money, so, you know, do what you're going to do, then I'll do what I'm going to do. I've said that to police officers. I've said that to judges. Well, you do what you're going to do, then I'll do what I'm going to do. Um, two Last two things. One, I think you already uh, went over this, but I'm just going to read it anyway. Is a car registered in the name of a company or a foundation automatically a car in commerce? 
Well, mine is in the in the name of a, a ministry. I create ministries and foundations, and they are private. Uh, they're not governmental, so they're not in commerce. And the last thing, um, we have a gentleman here that says, Mr. Schaefer needs to write his book. I will buy the first 100 copies. <laughs> well, thank you. So I told him to, co- to contact me. I don't know if he will or not. but uh, So anyway, all right, well, we're going to call it an evening, Bob. Um, great call. And it gave me an idea. Um Perhaps we can hold a more in-depth uh, webinar or something on this subject to kind of train people. Okay, now here let me let me make a statement that uh, okay. About two weeks ago, uh, somebody made a suggestion that Bob Schaefer ought to talk about this certain topic. You know, I've got a lot of topics, but I want to do the topics that the people want. So, if, if somebody wants me to talk about a topic, or contact Chad and say. Uh, that that would interest you, and then I'll see if I can't work that in. Oh, by the way, we do have somebody from Oregon here that has a question. Um, let's make this quick. It's getting Hello. late. Yes, you're in Oregon. Go ahead. Hello, you can hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, Tad. This is Dave. Um, <clears throat> getting ready to hit the road here, and just want to make some points of clarity. Um Mainly, this is for Bob. Um, Could you speak up, please? Bob can't hear you. Okay. Is it better to have state plates, no plates, or private plates? Is it better to have state plates, no plates, or private plates, Bob? Well, the people that are really up on that have private plates. Uh, That's that's probably the best if you know how to argue it. Uh, I've been too busy with code enforcement and... and, uh, all kinds of uh, other things, keeping people out of jail and uh, other things to, to work on that area. I'll eventually get that worked out, but um, right now I have state plates. You know, you can, you can only do so much. There's well, only so many hours in a day. My license is going to expire on my birthday, and I was thinking of just letting that go and then going without a license, and that way I'm not still in contract with them. Is that a smart move? Well, now, if you you don't just let it go, you send the place back, and you say, I'm removing my automobile from uh, the jurisdiction of the state, and you keep that record, and you send the place back. Now, is that the deal where you're unregistering them through DMV? Say it again? Can you go into like a field office at a DMV and nearby and do your unregistered? Uh, uh, I I I would not do that. I would send the plates to the to the heads, uh, you know, the state, the main office. Oh, okay. So do everything through uh, your capital. Okay. Yeah. See, there's no maximum law that says if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. So you don't want to do anything with hearsay. You want everything in writing. That's exhibit A, B, C, and D. You know, I tell people don't talk to anybody. Like in a foreclosure, if the guy from the bank stops you in the street, say, look, my counsel has instructed me. Now, I'm not your lawyer or your attorney, but I can be your counsel. My counsel has instructed me not to talk to anybody because what you and I say here is only hearsay evidence, and this is probably going to go to court. And so you put it in writing. You send it to me in writing through regular mail. I don't take certified mail. 
Send it to me in regular mail, and I promise you I will respond. Thank you very much. Have a nice day, and you turn around and walk away. Might be rude, but hey, throwing you out of your house is pretty rude too. But you don't talk to anybody. Put it all in writing. Remember, if it didn't happen in writing, it didn't happen. Got that. And on the insurance thing, could a person take out a $3 million self-insurance bond and just have that posted? Well, that's a legal question you need to talk to the DMV about. There is a way to be self-insured, and I don't know what it is in Oregon. Oh, okay. But I will will soon be doing that in California. And is it good to quote ECC 1-207.7, right to travel? I understand that's a federal contract trust, and it's about protection. Yeah, that's good. That's one of your arguments that you can present at the at the curb. Okay, that's. Thank you very much. I just wanted some points of clarity. Um, I'll let you guys go. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Bob. I'm getting telephone here. Hey, Tad. Uh oh. I got no. Just a quick thing. There is no more 207. It's 308. There is no more UPC 207. They changed it to 308. Oh, that's the one okay. I use, 308. Okay. All right. Hey, guys, thank you very much. And, Bob, thank you. I'm going to call you here in just a moment. So, everybody, okay. thank you for joining tonight, and we'll see you again next week. Good night. Bye.